Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 258. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and today is a solo show. Uh, Valerie had uh, said she was kind of busy at work, and so she asked me to do a solo show today. And so what I like to do with solo shows is I like to answer as many questions as I can. And in fact, we had a whole bunch of questions that uh, have been sent in, uh, you know, over the past year that we just for some reason haven't gotten to. And today I'm going to be answering those questions. So if you sent in a question uh, via the uh, the form that we have on the show notes, then this is your chance to hear the answer. Uh, so let's get right to it. Beauty questions. First question comes to us from Tamara. Tamara says, Cosmetologists keep telling me henna will make my hair unhealthy or break off. I mix henna powder and apply to my roots every month to make gray become natural or orange-red highlights. I never use the colored henna. I think it makes my hair stronger and shiny. Should I stop using henna? Well, Valerie actually did a deep dive on coloring your hair with henna way back in episode 189. Now, I'm going to suggest that you go back and listen to that episode. But basically, henna can be safely used to color hair. But there are a number of negatives, mostly that it locks uh, you into using only henna as your colorant because you don't want to use other standard permanent hair colors on top of henna. Uh, Actually, you can go the other way around. You can have standard hair colors and then use henna on top of that. But uh, if you start coloring your hair with henna, you're going to have to keep coloring your hair with henna. And there are less color options. And so that's probably why cosmetologists tell you that because they figure you're going to want to change the color. And it's more easy to change the color when you're not using henna. But the bottom line is that if you like henna coloring, keep using it because you can. Next question comes to us from Vina. Vina says, Can I use a multi-peptide serum to moisturize and strengthen my eyelashes or even as a type of moisturizer for around my eyes? Is it eye safe? I bought it and it is too much work to put into my hair every day, but if it would keep my eyelashes growing, that would be nice. I think a lot of people actually want to get their eyelashes growing, which is uh, interesting and it is good for the... Uh, the eyelash companies, but uh, let's talk about this. So to the question, uh, yes, you can use a multi-peptide serum for moisturizing your face and around your eyes, but I doubt it's going to have much impact on your eyelash strength or certainly on growth. Most products that you put on your face uh, are safe to use around the eye area, except of course for some colorants in the U.S., uh, colorants are specifically approved for use around the eye by the FDA. So you, there are restrictions on the kinds of colorants you can use. But basically, if somebody's making a face serum, they're not going to use a colorant that can't be used around the eye. But the only eyelash growth uh, product that has been proven to work 
is Latisse. Uh, the I think the active ingredient is called Bimraprost or Bimraprost or something. It was a an ingredient that was used to treat glaucoma, and they found out that people using that were having the side effect of their eyelashes growing more. That was uh, commercialized uh, by the pharmaceutical company under the brand name Latisse, and that's the only one proven to work. All of these other brands uh, consider themselves knockoffs or copies of it. Uh, These aren't proven to work, and I wouldn't recommend using them. Uh, The rest are just marketing stories, or they're illegal drugs. (laughs) Next question comes to us from Isabel. Isabel says, Are products labeled as heat or color protectors uh, really working? And if a person does uh, a relaxing hair treatment, uh, can they use Olaplex uh, to reverse the results? Uh, Sorry about my English and greetings from Madrid. Ah, Madrid. I love that we have uh, people from around the world who listen to this show. And it seems that people around the world have the same kinds of problems, which is good, at least from a cosmetic chemist standpoint, because then I can answer more questions. I actually worked on a color protector product that really did work. Uh, It was the Tresemme Color Thrive product, and it really would lock in your hair color, and so it wouldn't wash out uh, as you you wash it. So it would stay in better, and it would look better longer. Of course, it didn't solve the problem of your hair growing out, which uh, can be a problem. So as far as color protectors go there is some technology that works but the product that i was working on the tresemme color thrive product it's not on the market anymore because well while it did actually work the process of using it and the benefit that was achieved just didn't seem worth it to people to keep doing it i guess you know that's the problem with these all of these types of products it's just really hard for consumers to notice any real improvements because it's an improvement that happens over time and it's uh, like you're preventing something from happening so it's it's hard for you to see it so it's hard to get people to rebuy even when something is working now this is true really of any color protecting product Uh, but of course most color protecting don't actually work then they're just kind of marketing stories but since people don't really notice whether they're working or not uh, they can get people to buy them But I would say this is also true of heat protector products. I don't find the studies about heat protectors particularly impressive, and you'll still get some damage. But, uh, you know, maybe you're mitigating a bit with some protective silicones. uh, But, you know, I I don't think it's going to protect you uh, in a manner that you're going to notice much different. Uh, As long as you're using a hair conditioner after you shampoo, that should actually mitigate any heat damage that you have. Of course, you're going to have to keep using conditioners, but uh, that's that's my opinion on that. And as far as Olaplex reversing uh, the results of a relaxer, no, I don't think that is going to work. The bonds that are created by Olaplex are not nearly as strong as the bonds that you're breaking when you're relaxing your hair. It's the cysteine, cysteine, dye, sulfur sulfur bond. And that's a really difficult bond to break, which is why you need to have such a high pH and such a strong chemical reaction to break it. Uh, Olaplex is not going to reverse that to any significant extent. Audrey says... She has actually a couple of questions, so nicely done, Audrey. Uh, First of all, does rice water actually work for improving hair? Um, Well, you know, I haven't seen any convincing evidence that rice water does much for hair. So maybe you'll get some humectant effect. It's 
everything in there is water soluble so most of it if you rinse out the product it's going to rinse down the drain so as a leave-in you might get a film forming and it might help make uh, hair a bit more flexible but there are much better ingredients uh, like hair conditioners that can do anything that rice water might do for your hair next question was for someone with normal healthy skin are facial serums and moisturizers with special ingredients worth it I think I've always had good skin or rare breakouts, no sensitivity to ingredients or sun, but lately I've been interested in those buzzwords like hyaluronic acid, niacinamide, retinol, etc. And I've added serums and retinol creams to my previously simple routine. You know, I hate having a medicine cabinet full of products, but I like trying new things, especially if they make my hair and skin feel and look better. I've tried observing my skin to see if the product makes a visible difference, but it's hard for me to be consistent and objective. If my skin was fine before, is there any point in beefing up my skincare routine? And does the age matter for something like this? Because I'm 25, if that helps. Well, this is a, a great question and very insightful. See, the biggest challenge with all of these skincare products whether they're working or not, if they were working, ingredients like niacinamide or retinol, they would, it takes time. You know, it's going to take uh, a few weeks to start seeing any effect, and the effects are going to be subtle. It's not going to be like an effect like Botox or something. So the bottom line is I really haven't seen any evidence that you're going to benefit from facial serums if you already have healthy skin. These things work better when you can see uh, significant differences. But if your skin already looks good, it's it's not going to visibly help you much. Now, you might enjoy the experience, and certainly using a moisturizer can help your skin look and feel better if the outdoor atmosphere is dry. But if you didn't use serums, you know, I don't think you're going to be missing anything. Now, some dermatologists would tell you to start using active ingredients now as a preventative measure, but honestly, there isn't a lot of good evidence that says using serums and such in your 20s uh, when you have perfectly fine looking skin it's going to impact your skin in the future in some positive way i mean i know people try to sell you products to do that but there's just not uh, uh, any good evidence that says that actually is what's going to happen. Now, certainly sunscreens can help prevent uh, future uh, bad-looking skin. And so if you have nice-looking skin now, of course, use sunscreens to protect it so it stays nice-looking in the future. That is sort of a time-dependent thing. But as far as other things, niacinamide, hyaluronic acid, you know, there's nothing proven about these things to, that say if you're in your 20s and use them, your skin in your 40s is going to look better. It, it's just not proven. And as far as skin goes, uh, yes, age matters. You know, people generally agree uh, younger people's skin looks better than older people's skin. And this is because, you know, your collagen breaks down as you age. Uh, you have more sun damage as you age, and, you know, people just prefer the look of younger skin over older skin. Of course, this is also just a matter of opinion, but the bottom line is, yeah, I don't think in your 20s, uh, and if you have normal-looking skin, uh, that or you have skin that you're satisfied with, I don't think you're going to see much benefit, if any, from these types of serums. Alex says, uh, another question about rice water. Does rice water actually help your hair in any way? Uh, 
no, again, uh, rice water is made up of antioxidants and starch, and most of it is just going to rinse away and not do much for hair. Uh, but it's not going to hurt either, so if you want to try it, go ahead. I don't think it's going to have much benefit. Sharon says, is beet juice an effective sunscreen? <sighs> no, no. I, I should take that back. I, I mean, I suppose... It could be if you drink the beet juice while you're sitting under an umbrella and have already slathered yourself with a conventional sunscreen, you know, preferably an SPF 30. But no, topically applied beet juice is not going to protect you from the sun. That's a bad idea. Don't do it. I encourage you to use standard sunscreens. There's really no good reason not to use a standard and, as people call them, chemical sunscreen. Um, People avoid them. Maybe if you're allergic to certain ingredients, that's a good reason too. But uh, there's there's a lot more fear around them than is warranted. Uh, you know, use your sunscreen and use uh, keep the beet juice to a drink. Angela says, what beauty product reviewing website can I actually trust? Uh, for example, can I trust uh, the EWG? Uh, EWG is the Environmental Working Group. They have a website called the Skin Deep Database, uh, and they ostensibly try to rate the safety of ingredients. This is a, uh, a bad resource. They have bad methodologies. It's not really scientifically based. It's more uh, based on trying to scare consumers and trying to scare up uh, donations to the fund. I mean, you know, good for them. I don't think... Uh, the thing is, they ignore completely the idea that the dose makes the poison. So you cannot simply take an ingredient and give it a rating uh, because you also need to know the nature of the ingredient and the amount that you're exposed to because the amount matters no matter what they say. But as far as trustworthy sites, uh, the go-to place for ingredient safety information is the Cosmetic Ingredient Review. This is the cir-safety.org website. And another site to go to is the SCCS, which is the Scientific Committee on Consumer Safety. And you can find them at uh, the ec.europa.eu slash health slash scientific dash committees and that's the SCCS Uh, you might want to just put that in Google to get the exact link that's where safety information can be found another good source for safety information to get you started is cosmeticsinfo.org Ida says does this product work to regrow hair and if so what is the maintenance process would I be forced to continue using the product forever Well, Ida, you did not uh, link which product you're asking about, but I can still answer this one because uh, the things that grow hair or regrow hair uh, are pretty simple. Uh, Unless the product is minoxidil-based, then no, it's unlikely to regrow your hair. Uh, There are no uh, extracts or natural ingredients from plants that have been demonstrated to consistently regrow hair. It is all, you know, there's lots of people selling stuff that they say is going to regrow hair. But let's be real. These aren't science-based things. These are marketing stories, folk tales. If there were products out in nature that you could put on your hair and regrow hair, they would be huge in the market. This is a huge problem that everybody is looking to try to research and find answers to and solve. 
the problem hasn't been solved. And even minoxidil products, they don't work for everybody, and people who use them are not necessarily satisfied with the results they get. Now, don't get me wrong, some people are, but only about 67% of people actually see a benefit from minoxidil. The reasons that you have lost hair or your hair is not growing there's a variety of reasons for that. And so it's understandable that uh, one ingredient is not going to work for everybody because if if your hair follicle stopped growing for uh, one reason and modoxidil solves some other problem, then it's not going to help you. But yes, I mean, if you did see a benefit from something like minoxidil, you are going to need to continue to use it to continue to see any benefits. It's one of those things like uh, the reason your hair stopped growing was maybe the hair follicle uh, was short of some ingredient in the biochemical pathway that creates hair. They don't make that anymore. And so the hair follicle stops working. When you supply the hair follicle with that ingredient, that sort of kickstarts the, uh, as long as that you're, it still gets that ingredient, that sort of kickstarts the growing process and uh, your hair keeps growing. But once you stop using that ingredient, the hair stops growing again, and that's just how it goes. Andrea says, Why does the above product react so differently on users' hair? Uh, see the reviews. They have one-star versus five-star reviews. And the product is the L'Oreal Paris Lamellar Moisturizing Treatment. According to Andrea, she says, It made my hair, my fine hair frizzier. My hair was fine, uh, strands, and is wavy. I also have a frizz issue due to hypothyroidism. Uh, I notice one thing that seems to work for me is an acid rinse. That's vinegar or uh, lemon juice diluted in rinse water to lower the pH. But the question is, like, why would a product on Amazon put out by a big company like L'Oreal have a wide range of reviews? Well, why any product works differently on people's hair is related to a few factors. First, it is the condition of your hair. If it's more damaged, then the cationic surfactants are going to stick better to your hair uh, as they have in this product. This, this is the L'Oreal uh, Lamellar Moisturizing Treatment. They have uh, citronium chloride there and trimonium chloride in the product. Those are going to stick to damaged hair better. So if your hair isn't particularly damaged, then these conditioning ingredients are just going to kind of rinse away, and so they're not going to help much. The product also has a lot of humectants in it, so depending on you know how you apply the product or how much it absorbs, it could give you different results. The final factor is really your own perception and how well a product works. You know, two people with exactly the same hair condition, you know, they can try the same product and just believe that they got different results. I was always amazed at how differently people would rate shampoos based on just the fragrance. We took samples where it's exactly the same formula, but you just put one fragrance in one and a fragrance in the other one. And people show vastly different scores for things like foaming and rinseability, even though in a laboratory when we measure these things, those actually aren't different. But the odor has this halo effect that we may have talked about previously. But this this once the halo effect it kicks in, this starts to have people evaluate different aspects of a product differently. And I suspect something like that is going on here. 
One other factor is that, you know, not all the reviews you read online are written by actual people or by people who have tried the product. And this is why I think the only real way to know objectively how a product works is to do blinded tests. Online reviews are definitely not blinded tests or unbiased. um, And there are people out there who try to knock down competitors by putting bad reviews. Or there are companies out there, say, I'm looking at you, Sunday Riley, who have in the past uh, put up fake reviews, positive reviews about products, get consumers to buy products that... uh, So... You know, that kind of things goes on. I don't have a lot of faith in uh, the reviews that you are going to find on Amazon. They don't do a really good job of uh, vetting these sorts of things, and it's really easy to manipulate people. Now, as far as the rinsing with vinegar or lemon juice that you mentioned, you know, if that's working for you, go ahead and keep doing it. I think if you did a blinded evaluation of that treatment, you wouldn't find much benefit and it's certainly not going to be better uh, than using cationic surfactants that are going to bind to hair and such. But, you know, beauty products are not all just about what you can scientifically uh, show in the lab. Uh, you know, there is a whole a whole experiential aspect of it and a whole uh, aspect of the ritual of using a product. And if lemon juice or apple cider vinegar... Uh, you feel it works well for your hair, uh, you know, who am I to say uh, just because the science says it doesn't, that it doesn't. So if you like it, keep doing it. Next question comes to us from Stephanie. We are really whipping through these questions, right? Does argyrilline work and is it safe or does it cause facial drooping? So I had to look up what argyrilline was, and it is actually a peptide, more commonly known as what I had known it as, uh, acetylhexapeptide 3 or uh, acetylhexapeptide 8. Like most anti-aging ingredients, it's designed to fight fine lines and wrinkles. It's a what you call a neurotransmitter inhibitor peptide, which is supposed to work along the same lines as Botox. Basically, these neurotransmitter inhibitor peptides um, are added to cosmetics to reduce wrinkles because they inhibit the acetylcholine released by a variety of chemical interactions. Uh, To most extreme neurotransmitters, uh, they include uh, poisons like curar and botulism toxic, or Botox, basically. Uh, But these are injected under the skin, and so they're going to... uh, work immediately. Now, less invasive versions have been developed uh, for use on skin. And the hypothesis is that they're going to relax the muscles of facial expressions so they won't contract as much. And that is going to reduce the appearance of wrinkles. Now, these neurotransmitter inhibitor peptides have been shown to reduce certain types of wrinkles by approximately 30%. At least that's what the people selling these things say. Now, the evidence for argiline working is really limited, and there haven't been any good double-blind placebo-controlled studies, so it's not likely that it's going to really do much. But as far as the facial drooping issues, which is something that anecdotally people have said, uh, there also isn't uh, you know, any good evidence to show that this is really a problem either. You know, like I said, it's just anecdotal evidence. 
So I doubt that it has a significant effect, uh, both either positive or negative, mostly because I don't think it has been proven to be able to penetrate the skin to get down to the dermis where it would actually have to go to work. You know, Botox is an injection, and, and there's a reason you don't put Botox on uh, the surface of your skin. You actually will inject it below the surface. Uh, these ingredients, I don't think they get down uh, into the skin, through the skin, to actually have the same kind of effect. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's proven to harm you, but I don't think, I don't see the data that says it's proven to work as very uh, impressive anyway. You know, that's a problem with a lot of potentially good skincare actives. They just don't get where they're supposed to go. And on the other hand, uh, cosmetics are not supposed to be doing that anyway. Reem asks, thank you for your taking up the information and providing such relevant inf info, which honestly is lost in so much noise. My question is, I just want a simple moisturizer that I can use on my face daily without burning my wallet or putting on things which are not effective. And I am really lost in what exactly I should be looking for. Can you please help me with the simple things that could help me in nourishing my skin with the things I need? And I have combination skin. Look, I would say look for a moisturizer produced by a big company like P&G, Unilever, L'Oreal, Neutrogena. You know, these companies produce excellent products and they are priced reasonably. They work for the majority of people who use them and I think, you know, Olay likely has the best formulas, but, you know, Neutrogena, CeraVe, uh, they're also pretty good. Uh, you really don't need to spend a lot of money on moisturizers. Some people avoid drugstore products, but you have to understand that products produced by big companies are the most optimized formulas that you have, and they have the most research money spent on them during development. The, you know, these these companies want to sell products to as many people as they can, and they need to make products that people like, and people like these products that work. You know, that's not to say more premium, smaller brands aren't any good, but if you're looking for a good product without breaking the bank, you know, go for products produced by the big guys, and you can get most of those at, I don't know, Target? <laughs> so, uh they really are good products. There's no good reason to avoid drugstore uh, skincare products. There, there just isn't. There's only marketing reasons. Marie says, hello, beauty brains. Last year, I heard several beauty editors praise the ingredient hydroquinone as the gold standard for treating melasma. However, after a quick Google search, I found that it seems like all the over-the-counter products with the ingredient aren't available anymore. Do you know if hydroquinone has been banned for some reason? If so, why? Thank you for your great show, Marie from Germany. Well, Marie, thank you for the question. Uh, it turns out in the EU, hydroquinone is not available for cosmetic products. It hasn't been for actually quite some time. But you can still get a prescription for hydroquinone, so dermatologists can prescribe it. You just can't get it as an over-the-counter cosmetic product. It used to be in the U.S. You could still get it. There was a you could get over-the-counter hydroquinone two percent products, uh, but in the U.S., Congress passed the CARES Act back in March of 2020, and that actually had an impact on hydroquinone 
and it was actually implemented in September of 2020, and that was essentially banned the use of hydroquinone from over-the-counter products. So now if you want to get hydroquinone, you're going to need a prescription just the same as you would in the EU, uh, or there's going to have to be some company who goes through and applies through the process of getting a new drug application or an NDA in the U.S. Um, so it's just going to be more difficult to get hydroquinone. Now, hydroquinone was uh, is an ingredient that has been demonstrated to be effective uh, for treating uh, melasmas or uh, for, uh, you know, uh, lightening the color of skin. Um but hydroquinone was banned in the EU, and it's uh, not recognized as safe, even though the, in the FDA uh, had recognized hydroquinone as safe. Uh, in 2006, they sort of reversed their, their concerns, and this was because of concerns of it causing cancer. Now, I will say the Cosmetic Ingredient Review Board reviewed uh, the safety data of hydroquinone uh, a few times and has said that at the levels that were being used, it was safe. But, you know, as you get more safety data over time, uh, there develops more concern. So the FDA uh, said in 2006 that it still needed more data. And then in 2020, when the CARES Act passed, they decided now we're going to need a new drug application, so a lot more data. So, uh, you know, it's still only a suspected carcinogen, uh, and that is only with long-term use. But, you know, regulators are being extra cautious here, so it's just going to be difficult, more difficult to get hydroquinone. Emma says, hi, I'm 40 years old and have recently started the show Some Signs of Aging. Uh, I'm 50. I started to show those too. Yikes. I'm wondering if there are any at-home devices worth its money, and can you provide me some anti-aging benefits, boost collagens? Uh, at-home LED seems to be hot right now, but is there any LED device on the market that you actually believe in? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Ah, well, all right. My thoughts on this is that I haven't seen any evidence that I find convincing that any of these devices uh, do much of anything. I mean, the Clarisonic device, you know, it's good for washing your face it felt good um but things like jade rollers and things um and these uh these led lights and things uh you know i haven't done a deep dive in i'll tell you what i, I you know i'm very skeptical about these things but i don't want to be dismissive and i think i'll talk to valerie we are going to do a future episode where we do a deep dive into these anti-aging at home devices but Going into it, my gut is uh, just knowing how the industry works and how these things get marketed and, and created. Uh, I'm skeptical that you're going to see any lasting benefit. Judith says, what is the history of lavender? 20 to 20, uh, 20 to 40% linalool tells us that it is so beneficial for the skin, specifically on burns, but is now seen as an allergen and can cause sensitization, especially when placed on broken skin. Lavender is a common aroma. Uh, do you think that it will change as the FDA looks to adopt the EU's label requirements? I'm so thankful I found your podcast and tell my friends about the amazing things I've learned. Well, thank you, Judith. It's always good to hear positive feedback. Uh, all right, let's uh, get to that. What is the deal with lavender? 
You know, it is seen as an allergen basically because a lot of people have allergic reactions to it. Uh, in a survey of studies from 1993 to 2017, they found about 2.2% uh, allergic reaction rate in the population that they studied. That's pretty high, you know, 2%. If if it's 2% of the U.S. population, that would mean, uh, let's see, that'd be about 7 million people in the country. Uh, that's a lot of people, um, even though it's a small portion of it. Uh, there was also a study looking at the Japanese population of their reaction to lavender uh, and they had a 4% allergic reaction rate. And so while this isn't a huge segment of the population, it's uh, rather large as allergens go. For, for Of course, for 96% of people, it's going to work fine. But for other people, you know, they need to avoid it. Now, I don't think that this uh, is that the lavender aroma is going to change much uh, as far as the FDA doing things about it, uh, you know, unless people's odor desires change that much. But lavender is one of those ubiquitous uh, odors in personal care products, and people like it. And so I doubt that it's going to be going away, especially since it only affects, uh, you know, uh, a significant but a small portion of the population as far as allergens go. You know, people will still want lavender odors, it's just that with proper labeling, uh, people who have a problem with lavender and the ingredient in their linalool, uh, they are going to be able to better avoid it. Oksana says, hello, Perry and Valerie. First off, I want to thank Perry for answering my questions about isotretinoin. Yeah, I think we answered that a few shows back. Very helpful. My question today is about oral care. I usually use cheap toothpaste containing abrasive surfactants, thickeners, and sodium monofluorophosphate. Is there any point in using more expensive toothpastes that have pretty much the same formula? Well, uh, thank you for those kinds of words. And the question, you know, toothpastes are mostly over-the-counter drugs here in the U.S., so everyone is pretty much bound to make products that is pretty much like everyone else's products. I mean, the way uh, uh, an OTC monograph works is that the FDA tells you what active ingredients you can have in your formula, and it tells you what claims you're able to make about that. And you are limited to the levels that the FDA says you can do. Now, companies can make aesthetic changes, and the experience can be different, and the taste, of course, can be different. But uh, these aesthetic differences really should not affect how the product works as far as uh, fighting cavities and cleaning your teeth. So with that in mind, uh, you know, uh, there may be some aesthetic differences with these more expensive ones, and you might like how they taste better. But as far as how they work, I don't think there's any good reason for you to pay more for more expensive toothpaste. Uh, it's, I just don't think so. Susan says, is it necessary to shampoo your hair twice? In a Monat video I watched, they recommend to shampoo, rinse, then shampoo, and rinse again. <laughs> this used to be shampoo, rinse, repeat. This is always the directions on shampoos for the longest time. And Well, let's be honest. No, it's not necessary for you to shampoo your hair twice. If you want uh, to shampoo your hair twice, you certainly can. Um, you might start to get your hair irritated or your scalp irritated but there's no there's no downside but there's not any real upside to washing your hair twice the first time you wash your hair unless your hair is really dirty first time you wash it it's gonna be fine 
And of course, you know, beauty companies are in the business of selling more products. So they getting you to use the product twice would really double up the use rate. So it's not surprising that you'd get that advice from a brand that is selling you shampoo. But look, you don't need to wash your hair twice. It is all a matter of really how do you like the way your hair feels. If you like the way your hair feels after you wash it one time, I mean, I do. So that's all you need to do. But if you're not like me and you wash it twice and you like how it feels better after washing it twice, then go ahead and do that. But, of course, if you're putting a conditioner on, whether you wash it once or twice, not going to matter in any way that you notice. Um, we're just not that good at noticing really uh, subtle differences, and that's what you're talking about here. So, no, I don't think there's any good reason for you to have to wash your hair twice. Uh, Monad does, of course, because they want you to use up the product more quickly. Now, I will say that the second shampooing will result in cleaner hair, so there is actually some rationale behind washing your hair twice, but... You know, I don't think you're really going to notice much benefit from a second washing. So wash once and be done with it. Amy says, whether or not Augustine Bader cream and the purported ingredient is uh, legit. So I had to look this up and that really depends on what you mean by the word legit. A review of the ingredient list shows that it's made of this, this. So Augustine Bader is a cream, uh, moisturizing cream, supposed to be remarkable, anti-aging sort of a thing. You know, they're using pretty standard ingredients, water, uh, caprylic triglyceride, pentylene glyco uh, glycol. So that's a... Uh, it's an emollient. The first thing, the pentylene glycol and the propylene glycol, uh, glycerin, sorbitol, those are all humectants. And you have the hydrogenated phosphatidylcholine, uh, an, another um, protein product. It's going to maybe help with some uh, film forming abilities. But, you know, you know, then they have a bunch of claims ingredients. And looking at their claims, so there's nothing remarkable about their formula based on their ingredient list. And then in looking at their claims, you see pretty standard unremarkable claims too. Um, a light, refreshing, deeply hydrating daily moisturizer. You know, okay, so is every other moisturizer going to say that? And they can say that. Uh, next, they say they support cellular renewal. I, I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to support? You notice, you should notice that whenever someone, some brand is claiming that it's going to support some cell process, that can really mean anything. That, that, that which means it means nothing. They can't really lock them down because you just say, oh, you know, it's supporting it. There's, that doesn't actually mean it's doing it. Look for some specific claim. Support cellular renewal is not a specific claim. Then they continue that it's uh, to dramatically improve the complexion's appearance. So, you know, their moisturizer makes your complexion look better or dramatically improve. Uh, you know, that is just a matter of opinion, you know. You know, so does everybody else's product. There's nothing special in that claim. They say it's backed up by 30 years of research and innovation, you know, and a company like Procter & Gamble is backed up by hundreds of years of innovation uh, and, uh, you know, research. So, yes, so, I mean, again, these are just uh, fluff claims that they really don't tell you too much. And, of course, then they have the hero ingredient. There's something very familiar about this brand and the website and their marketing story. They have a hero scientist who has done work in skincare 
and he somehow comes up with a product that's supposed to revolutionize it, although you make claims that are very general, uh, nothing specific that you can hold down to, and there's nothing uh, claimed in here that you know any other brand couldn't be claiming about their moisturizer. Uh, although they do say they're powered by this TFC8, which is their patented thing. So I looked up the patent. Uh, the TFC8, it's their trigger factor complex, which is, according to them, patented. I, I did find, uh, you know, this Augustinus uh, Bader did have a few patents. I couldn't tell exactly which one it was, but this is more of a trademark ingredient. And uh, so it's based on one of his patents. So uh, it's difficult to say, but they say in their marketing material, it's made up of amino acids, vitamins, and other ingredients in the body. And to me, this is just trying to blind you with science. It doesn't take much to get a patent, and the results that they claim, there's really nothing special. There were a number of claims where they say, you know, it changed the appearance and people thought their skin looked better. I'm like... Okay, yeah. Everybody's product, if you use it and spend a lot of money in it, you're going to think your product uh, looks and works better. So, you know, is it legit? I mean, it's a moisturizer. I wouldn't expect it to work better than most any other moisturizer that you can get and for a lot less money. But if you want to try it, go ahead. Just keep your expectations low. Mark says, hi, guys. I love the podcast and listen regularly. I recently heard you talk about toners and if they are necessary. And the overall thoughts were that you enjoy them, use them, but they don't really serve any measurable benefits. I should uh, add that it was Valerie enjoys them, use them. I I don't really use toners. Uh, I barely wash my face. But, uh, you know, which is just proof positive that uh, they aren't exactly necessary if you want you know, skin to look like mine, which is perfectly average skin. So anyway, uh, back to the question. I wondered if this applies to products which are uh, used as a toner step in a routine, but may offer a benefit such as exfoliation. I occasionally use the Clinique Anti-Blemish Clarifying Solution and the Glam Glow Super Toner and wonder if this is a necessary step or perhaps not the point in the regime where you should exfoliate. Okay, I looked up the Glam Glow Super Toner product. Uh, It's a mix of water, alcohol, and a bunch of acids, mandelaic acid, glycolic acid, salicylic acid, lactic acid, tartaric acid, pyruvic acid, among other things. So it can help with exfoliating, and with salicylic acid, it can also help with uh, blemishes or acne. Uh, This product, it does have benefits, When we said toners weren't really necessary, uh, you know, these are the ones that have water, alcohol, and maybe some humectants in them. Not a product like this that actually has potentially effective ingredients like salicylic acid. Uh, You did have a second question where you said, I'd love your thoughts on the essence lotions. I'm using L'Oreal Age Perfect 1, and it claims to be a toner serum hybrid they're usually marketed as marketing your making your serum absorb better, presumably because you would apply this serum to damp skin. Would love to know what you think about this. Thank you so much. Uh, well, I don't think the essence lotions are providing much benefit beyond what these standard humectants are doing. You know, if you look at the formula, it's water, glycerin, and butylene glycol. Then a bunch of extracts. You know, it seems like a lot of money to pay for a solution of glycerin. (laughs) But, you know, as we said before, if you like the product and you think it's worth it, the cost, it's not going to hurt. Just keep your expectations low.
YT says, how long do different cosmetics take to show efficacy on the skin? For example, how long does it take for my serum moisturizer essence to prove efficacy? Well, that depends on the type of product that you're talking about. For moisturizer, your skin should feel relief right away. For a prescription product like tretinoin, uh, the study that I read said it takes about six months of regular use to start seeing some significant impact. And that is the strongest version of retinols that you can get. Now, I would imagine it would take even longer for non-prescription ingredients if they ever show any benefit. There are things like self-tanners. You know, these happen within 24 hours. But maybe you're asking about anti-aging ingredients, niacinamide. uh, You know, that's going to depend on how bad your condition is, if you're going to see anything. I looked at these studies, a lot of studies, they typically will start to show some benefits after two weeks of treatment. They're subtle. Maybe dermatologists will notice, but maybe you'll notice. But most of these studies are going to take up to about 12 weeks for you to see substantial changes. So, you know, you got to be using these products for uh, three months before you see anything. But again, if your skin looks good already... uh, you're going to have a hard time seeing any big changes. So it might not look like your skin has changed at all because in 12 weeks, you're going to forget what your skin used to look like. So it's very difficult. Um, There are a lot of studies on a lot of ingredients, so it's hard to say how long all of the different products will take. But I think if you don't see an improvement, say after a month of using the products, you're probably not going to see much improvement with the ingredient you're using. Well, it looks like we have one more question here. This one came to us from Cassie. Whew, we got through a lot of questions today. Uh, Cassie says, can solid serums and moisturizers work as effectively as more traditional formulas? Also, is an all-oil serum really a serum, or does it function more as a face oil? Well, this really depends uh, what you mean by work as effectively. Now, you have to understand that solids and powders are old technologies. Uh, In fact, when the first shampoo came out, it was a powdered product. It wasn't until the 1920s that a liquid product was even introduced, and this was a soap-based shampoo, so it wasn't very good. This is just old technology. In the 1930s, the first synthetic detergent was introduced, and, you know, things have, you know, steadily improved a little bit since then, but not very much since the 1980s as far as shampoos go. But in general, for most any product that is now a liquid or a gel, it is going to be the more effective one to use than the powder or solid because the powder or solid was probably the first thing. But for the things that are traditionally sold as solids, they work better uh, because they're still being sold as solids. So like a solid deodorant or a soap bar or lipsticks, these just work better. They're, they're more effective or people like to use them better than, say, liquid versions of all of those things. I know sometimes I use a, a liquid deodorant and... Yeah, just doesn't feel right. I like that solid thing. But, you know, that's just a personal taste. Both That can work. But um, these are effective. There are liquid versions uh, of any solid product, but people just prefer the solid versions. So, but for things that are traditionally liquids, they just work better as liquids. Body wash is an interesting case, actually. When I started in the industry, bar soap uh, was what everyone, at least in the U.S., was using. Then it flipped in sort of the late 90s, early 2000s, and there were more body washes that are sold than bar soaps. Now, body wash 
it's really the more inefficient way to do this. You got to put the liquid on the puff and then you puff it up and you get the foam and spread it around. Whereas a bar of soap, you know, you just take the bar and you can rub it all over you and, and, and it's done. Um, it, it's more efficient, but, you know, people tend to like body washes a bit better than soap now, or at least that's what they like now. Maybe it's going to flip the other way. Uh, so, I, you know, generally, I don't think the solid versions uh, work as effectively if it's not already sold as solid. But for the things already sold as solids, they do. These new shampoos and conditioners, solids, eh, I think uh, mostly people will be disappointed in them. Now, as far as your question goes about serums, you've got to understand the term serum is a marketing term. It does not have any legal or scientific definition. So if somebody sells an all-oil product and calls it a serum, then it's a serum. Now, yeah, it's going to work the same way a facial oil is, but they just didn't call the facial oil thing a serum, even though they could have. You know, serums can be liquids. They can be gels. I've even seen some creams called serums. But as far as uh, how they function, uh, it's really going to depend on what's in whatever they're calling the serum. Whew. All right, that was all the questions I have time for now. And boy, I need a sip of tea. I hear the uh, the music playing. Ah. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Valerie will be back next week and we'll answer all new questions uh, from you that were sent in. We have a number of people who sent in audio questions. If you want to get your questions answered on the podcast we prefer the audio questions you can just record the question on your smartphone and then email that to us at thebeautybrains at gmail.com if you include your name and a little summary of that uh, that helps but it's not required but we do like you to say your name on it uh, and if you want to follow us on our social media, we are The Beauty Brains on Twitter. We have a Facebook page, The Beauty Brains, and we're on Instagram, which is at The Beauty Brains 2018. And if you want to support the show and get your questions answered more quickly, uh, we prioritize the patrons first, and we actually do patron-only events. We had an event last week, which was a great fun, uh, enjoyed by everybody. It was a one-hour question and answer session uh, live video so people could interact with us directly uh if you want to support the show and help keep us ad free you can go to patreon.com slash the beauty brains and join the uh, more than 100 other subscribers to the show thank you so much to all of our patrons and thank you to all our listeners and everybody who sent in questions I am Perry Romanowski from The Beauty Brains, and remember, as Valerie would say and Randy before her, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Cue the cats. Kittens. <laughs>